This week is Parsha's Tetzave, but it's also the week before Purim. And I wanted to share an idea about Purim uh, from the sources in the Talmud that I think is very relevant, very powerful, and very useful in our lives today. The Talmud in the book of Shabbos on page 88a says something really strange. It, it quotes the verse in the book of Exodus. In the book of Exodus, it tells us that the Jewish people received the Torah at Mount Sinai. And if you read the verses literally, it seems that the Jewish people stood not by the mountain, but under the mountain. And the Talmud wants to understand why does the Torah use words that can imply that the Jewish people were not on the foot of the mountain, but they were underneath the mountain. And the Talmud says something really, really strange. It says that this teaches us that the Almighty lifted the mountain and turned it upside down on top of them like a barrel. And the Jewish people had this mountain, like the sword of Damocles, above their heads, and God gave them an ultimatum. Here, on this mountain, I'm going to give you the Torah. If you accept it, then good. If you don't accept it, if you reject the Torah, I'm going to bury you over here. That's what the Talmud says. Thus, at Mount Sinai, the Jewish people accept the Torah under duress. Continues the Talmud, well, this gives us an out. If we disobey the Torah, God, says the Talmud, cannot come to us and say, oh, you're you're not keeping up your half of the deal, because as we know, an agreement is only valid if it was accepted, it was an even-handed transaction. If I force someone to engage in a transaction, then they are not bound by the deal because they didn't opt into it. If I put a gun to someone's head and say, okay, sell me your house or your car or your iPad or whatever then they are not obligated by that deal because they didn't opt in. Says the Talmud, because we were forced, God put the proverbial gun to our head and says, you better accept the Torah so I'll kill you all. Therefore, the Torah is not mandatory, or at least if the Jewish people don't abide by it, we can't be blamed. We can't be held accountable. That's what the Talmud says. Continues the Talmud. However, still in the times of Ahasuerus, in the times of Purim, they re-accepted the Torah again out of love. So this Talmud says a very strange idea. It says that the Jewish people accepted the Torah, of course, at Mount Sinai. But in addition, the Jewish people renewed their vows. They re-accepted the Torah when? A thousand years later after Sinai in Persia, when they were facing an annihilation decree by Ahasuerus and Haman. Then they accepted the Torah out of love says Rashi, out of love of the miracle. So what is this idea that the Jewish people accept the Torah twice? The first time it was out of fear. They were intimidated. They were coerced into accepting the Torah. The mountain was wielded above them threateningly. Whereas on Purim, they accepted the Torah out of love. They opted in. They willingly accepted the Torah because of all the miracles that God did in the story of Purim. Now, the problem is, there's two problems. First of all, if you read the story of Purim, and one of the themes of Purim is that the the miracles in the Purim story were all hidden. In fact, even Esther, the name Esther, who is the heroine of the story, the word Esther means concealment. And in fact, if you read through the entire book of the Book of Esther, which details everything that happens in the story of Purim, it doesn't say the name of God even once. It's the only book that doesn't say the only Torah book, only book in the Jewish Bible 
that doesn't contain the name of God. So we have this miracle, and we're so thankful for God that we reaccept the Torah willfully, willingly, out of love, but the miracle is all hidden. Each particular cog in the story of Purim is not necessarily miraculous. If you read the story, you'll notice that everything that happened that eventually caused the salvation of the Jewish people could have been random, could have been an accident. Now, of course, we believe that God is manipulating history, and he's ensuring that the Jewish people will survive. And therefore, he's the one who's causing all these various factors to come together and to bring about the salvation of the Jewish people. But on the surface, the miracles are not evident. So on one hand, we're told that Purim... The love of the miracle evoked reacceptance of the Torah out of love. And the question is, first of all, what miracles? The miracles are all hidden. How do they have this gush of love for God from these miracles that maybe to some people don't even appear to be miracles at all? But I think there's a, a further question. We're told that when the Jewish people left Egypt and they got to Mount Sinai, which is only 50 days after the Exodus, then they accepted the Torah out of fear. They were compelled and forced to accept it. But wait a minute. If you read the story of Exodus, it's evident that there are many, many miracles leading up to the Exodus. The ten plagues, miraculous plagues that smite the Egyptians and the Jewish people are spared. The Exodus itself the splitting of the sea seven days later, a month later, there's manna falling from heaven. There's present miracles, ever-present miracles, constantly ensconcing the Jewish people. They're, they're surrounded, enveloped by this magical cloud and have the pillar of fire at night. There's miracles every day and every hour. So if miracles, if, they, if the miracles of Purim spur the reaction, let us accept Torah out of love, How is it possible that those miracles not only are effective, but are more effective than the much grander miracles of the Exodus? There's supernatural plagues, and there's splitting of sea, and there's manna from heaven, and there the miracles is is patently evident to everyone. It's undeniable. So you would imagine that should surely evoke feelings of love and accepting the Torah out of love. So what is the meaning behind this idea? What is the meaning behind the idea that our love for God is brought to the surface by miracles? But what, what kind of miracles? Specifically, the hidden miracles, not the revealed miracles. I want to suggest an approach. You know, we, we're told in the Torah that we have to love God. In fact, we say in the Shema, it's one of the mitzvahs in the Torah, you got to love God. In addition... There's other mitzvahs in the Torah that we have to love every Jew. You have to love every Jew as yourself. Very famous verse that was plagiarized by other religions. In chapter 19 of the book of Leviticus, you have to love your fellow as yourself. And there's other times where it says you have to love the convert or the foreigner, because we were foreigners, we were converts. So we actually are given a commandment to love other people. I think that what this particular Talmud, when it tells us about the episode of Purim and the love that came about as a result of this miracle, I think it's telling us a very deep insight into how miracles or positive experiences create 
love. If you see amazing miracles, nature-defined episodes of godly intervention, that will not necessarily result in love of God. However, if you find hidden miracles, now how do you find hidden miracles? To find hidden miracles, you have to look for them. Hidden miracles are not evident. Again, you could read the whole story of Esther and say this is a bunch of coincidences that happened to work that really fortuitously for the Jewish people. Only if you look really hard, only then will you notice the miracles. It's not immediately evident on the surface. Those miracles, the miracles you have to struggle to try to see them, to perceive them, to understand, to even recognize that they're there, those experiences actually engender love. And I think we could be very thankful to God for a lot of different reasons. So if God splits the sea, amazing. If God drops manna, amazing. But God does miracles to us all the time. After you go to the bathroom, after you use the restroom, after you use the facilities, there is a blessing that we say that we describe the pipes that operate within our body. We have this whole network of veins and arteries, and there's so much traffic, and there's, it, it's more comprehensive, it's more exhaustive, the network of pipes and canals that we have within us than the whole system of traffic, of roads, and all various forms of transportation in the entire world. Yet, there's no traffic jams. What happens, God forbid, if someone has a blood clot, if there's a traffic jam, if there's some rubbernecking or bottlenecking in one of the pipes within us, it's very likely that you, you may die from such a thing. Could you imagine someone who developed a system that could cause that there's not a single traffic incident in the entire world? Or even, uh, we live in Houston here. Uh, Houston is renowned for its traffic, as are many major cities. If someone could devise a system that would prevent traffic, it would be incredible. But we have it within us. That's an incredible miracle, how everything works out so nicely. And every time we go to the bathroom, we acknowledge that. And we thank God for it. But that's a hidden miracle. Because it's not nature-defying. In fact, it is very natural. I think what the Talmud is telling us, if we want to foster love between us and God, don't say, oh, let me wait for God to do something supernatural. Supernatural miracles don't actually create that change. What does is, when a person has to work really hard to find the miracles, it's not, it's a hidden miracle. A miracle like that, which is really... I guess on the surface, unremarkable, such a miracle will create love between man and God. And we're even told in the Jewish sources that there's a, a mitzvah to love God. And how do you do that? Says the Rambam, you have to ruminate and examine and ponder and think about the world around you because the world around you is God's handiwork. And by examining the intricacies and the perfection and the order and the wisdom of his handiwork, we love God. It doesn't say to us, find, wait for a miracle, wait for some suspension of nature. No, in nature itself, find the hidden miracle. And dare I suggest, you know, with respect to relationships, the relationships that are most cherished by us, I think this lesson is, is also applicable. People think that, oh, if I want to have a good relationship with my spouse, let me buy them something really, really expensive. You buy them a piece of jewelry or a brand new car. You do something really big 
that's going to foster love. I think what the Talmud here is telling us is that no, that is not going to foster love necessarily. And I think the logic behind it is very sound. When I have, if someone buys me, uh, I don't know, a Rolex, so I'm very excited, but I'm not necessarily thinking about the person who gave it to me. My mind is so consumed with the miracle itself or with the good thing itself, with the new watch, that's where I put my focus on. That kind of gift is not necessarily going to deepen the bond between the recipient and the giver of the gift. Whereas if the gift itself is not so dramatic, it's not so earth-shattering, it's not so amazing, it's something very minor, and then you pay attention to say, okay, I want to start appreciating the little things. If you appreciate the little things, the little things are in fact little, and that's why they are not so important on their own, but dwelling upon those little things will in fact create camaraderie and closeness between the two people. The Jewish people, when the things happened to them that were fortuitous, that were good, they stopped and said, okay, did all the, are all these things random? Are they all coincidences? And they concluded no. And when they did that work, it actually triggered the emotion of love uh, between them and God and thus the reacceptance of the servant. I think this would apply as well in our relationships. If we focus on all the little things that our spouses do for us, that our parents do for us, and make a big deal about that, our relationships will indeed benefit from that as a result. A very important lesson, a very valuable one from the Purim story.